Drive with Ken Chester. Ken loves talking about cars and automotive trends. And here he is, the automotive host with the most, Ken Chester. Welcome to another hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host for the hour, Ken Chester. So glad you decided to drop by. If you're a first-time listener, let me start by telling you that this is not your father's or grandfather's automotive talk show. We don't talk about repairs and maintenance. We don't talk about transmission repairs. We don't talk about engine hardware upgrades. But what we do talk about is the automotive, automotive news of consumer interest, tips and pointers to consider when selecting and evaluating your next vehicle, what you need to know about financing, what you should know about your trade-in, and insurance. That is information you can use today. In addition, we talk about automotive technology, the current tech in your car now, and the impact and importance of the tech that is coming in the near future. I demystify terms and trade talk in a way you can understand. And if you care about how you will get from point A to point B today, tomorrow, and even perhaps a few years from now, this is the show you need to tune into. We even go a bit into the weeds for your benefit, like flying cars and Autonomous semi-trucks and the like. <laughs> yeah, I talk about that too. But most importantly, you don't have to be a hardcore automotive type, geek, or techie to enjoy my talk show. Of course, it doesn't hurt if you are, but it's not required. For this hour, I'm going to talk about the best in green cars, ethics and statistics, accident rates, and autonomous vehicle programming. And finally, we get to view this changing marketplace from the eyes of the average car dealer, they're up against a tsunami of change. But first, adding your voice to the conversation is easy. Call or text me on the Roadworthy Drive line. That number, 872-222-9793, and that's anytime. If you prefer email, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.com. Either way, we'll connect you to me and the show. Now, in studio, as always, are the other members of the Roadworthy Drive crew, my friend and show executive producer, Jack at the Controls, and our very own ray of sunshine, Sasha, holding it down on mic, too. Howdy, peoples. Hello. Hello. You going to be all right, Sasha? I mean, where, where do you get these adjectives that you decide to use? All Trudeau. <laughs> all Trudeau. Hey. By, the, by the way, folks, he's trying to um, Light score, mood. score brownie points, actually. <laughs> Whatever Speaking works, of which, brother. I got a brownie. Oh, yes, you did get a brownie. Yes, she did. But it, you can't drive it, though. No, you can't. Never mind. That a boy. That a boy. Okay, Ken, get us to the park spin before I get us in trouble. Okay. Um, another automaker okay. who uh, decided to expand the brand and in, from luxury, ultra-luxury cars, how about a watch? Not again. Yeah, again. Uh, This time, it's, and I never get this right, is it McLaren? McLaren. McLaren. And uh, Richard Meal uh, to produce their first ever limited edition timepiece. I'm going to let that sink in. With both firms reflecting the same values of luxury, cutting-edge technology, and excellence, the timepiece will incorporate design features from McLaren cars as well as lightweight technologies. 
or watch. Lightweight, yeah, of course. Right. Reflecting the brand's values while being both aesthetic and functional. Because God knows you don't want a watch that's not functional. Well, I mean, technically, if you're somebody like me, I wear a watch and then I, you know, it stops working. So Yeah, but you want a watch that's functional, otherwise you wouldn't wear it. No, I wear it for fashion if it goes with my outfit. What's the point? Um, it's there on my wrist. Yeah. <laughs> Launched in 2010, McLaren Automotive is the largest of the three businesses that make up the McLaren Group. Richard Mill began offering its timepieces in 2001, marking the beginning of a new era in watchmaking. Uh, basically, uh, this is a whole new meaning of um, from zero to 60. No, give me give me my time, Max. It takes a looking and keeps on ticking. Yes, I'm not, sir. No, no, I'm leaving yes. that alone. And by uh, the way, can you still buy a Timex? I don't know. I, I think so. I don't know. I have not seen because I think now I see people with like fossils or the smart watches, but or their cell phone or their cell well, phone. Well, that's what I use my cell phone for is a watch. Yep. Okay. Well, speaking of using your cell phone, yes, sir. Buick wants to be your driving coach. Now I need a driving coach. Yes. Really? Have you seen the way he drives? I have not, no. Driving, no. I'm playing. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he better be playing because I, no. Go on. Okay. My Buick app was launched in 2016 to mm -hmm. help Buick owners monitor their driving habits. Okay. Buick is now taking the next step with the introduction of Buick Smart Driver Services. You, as an owner, you can opt in. And become a better driver by monitoring the following activities via the app. As if you didn't know. Hard acceleration and hard braking. Hey, just because I like to get away with a quickness doesn't mean I'm a bad driver. Exactly. Just saying. <laughs> the hard braking, hey, it was a squirrel. It was the last minute. Or or the other thing that just scares me to death anymore. Moosin. No. Oh. Uh, Deer. Balls and young children. Oh, I was about oh, to say deer. Well, that too. Deer. As they say in this state, don't veer for deer. And as I say, are you going to pay for the repairs? The answer to the second question is no. We've already been through that. I know. It doesn't hurt to ask. I know. Uh, other things, high-speed driving percentage. Yeah, like anything below 80% fast. Um, and I'm not sure what they mean by high speed. Well, Does that mean over question, the speed limit my or over is, 65? Are they going to let? Are, is this app going to allow you to go five over, six over. Mm -hmm. The app is not taking control of the car. It's strictly. No, no, I know that, but it's also keeping track of all that data. Yeah, but hold, hold that thought. Okay. Hold that thought. I'm going to get to there in a minute. It will also tell you average miles per gallon and average miles per hour. Thing will probably cost me. It probably blink in three places. Yep. Yeah, oh, well. And it offers tips on how to become a smarter driver and give you an overall smart driver score. It's bad enough I had a hard time with math in school. Now I'm going to flunk my car. It sounds like it. That is sad. Originally introduced as a web-based service, more than 211,000 Buick drivers have enrolled. Wait a minute. There are that many? Never mind. Uh, yeah, I was about no, to say. No, I'm not. Are you not? I'm not. Because I touch. I... No, don't. <laughs> they average over 700,000 trips a day. Here's the part you were wondering about, Jack. Okay. Buick owners can enroll but not required in the insurance discounts eligibility portion of the service a risk-free way to see if they're positive driving behavior because now this app you're now a awesome driver would qualify for insurance discounts without 
revealing any personal details to the insurance companies. Now, wait a minute. That's what it says. I realize, from what, I realize that's what it says. However, how am I going to get this so-called discount off my insurance if they don't know who is actually being a safe driver? You'd have to opt in for them to release the information. I understand that. If you choose not to opt in for the release, then they don't get it. I'm talking about those people who decide to opt in. What? How is that any different from the little bobble they put in the cars now? Yeah, because isn't there one like progressive? There, there's send one you company that gives you one of those things, and that's exactly what that thing is doing. Mm-hmm. And you're doing that willingly. They're not making you do it as a term of insurance. You're doing it willingly because in your mind you figure you get a better deal. I mean, at some point there's some personal responsibility. You can't expect this to become the nanny state on the maybe that, oh, protect me from myself. No. If you opt in, you're making a choice. You don't like it, don't opt in. Well, and see, and I would never opt in. Which is fine. Then if there's any benefits, you may not be eligible for those benefits. That is a functional choice you're making. Then I can start screaming discrimination. Why? If these it's, people, it's, it's a discriminatory practice. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I disagree with you. I disagree with you. And I'll tell you why. You choose You choose to opt in to get a better rate. Any more than insurance is up for years. If you were a single female under 25, you got a better insurance rate than a yep. single male under 25. Yep. That If you're going that way, that should be discriminatory. Right off the bat. Uh, as, as, a, as a young male who probably has a decent driving record on his business, but I'm getting penalized because of my gender only. Yep. Yeah. You know, and this has been practiced for years. Well, so, back in the day when I got my license, exactly so, what it was. So my argument is, here you have a choice. You have a choice. Okay? The difference is, and it's up to them how they want to do business. They're not, they're not saying every insurance company is this way. You don't like it? Find you an insurance company that will recognize but the way you drive. too long, we're not going to get a choice. I disagree. I think you'll always have that choice. No, uh, because I have to go check. Because yeah. I may not even be owning a car, so it won't even be on me. Yeah, but then you're going to be driving somebody else's car. I won't be driving. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. That's my whole point. Next up, people, green car choices in a carbon world. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard only on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Roadworthy Drive. Like us on Facebook. Today, there's a new word for modern in pickup truck design. It's Boardward. That's the way you'll go in new board trucks for 1959. Go Boardward in style in the all-new Ford Ranchero. It rides like a car. It works like a truck. For all its high style, it carries over half a ton. Go Boardward with power. Power in all four wheels. Ford's new four-wheel drive pickups give you traction enough for a six-foot ditch or a 60% grade. They're yours at low Ford prices, too. Go Fordward for savings. 
with one of 13 different Ford pickups to choose from for 59. See them now at your Ford dealer. You'll see the difference. You'll save the difference when you go Fordward in the new Ford trucks for 59. Fordward. Okay. If you're just tuning in, this is Roadworthy Drive with me, Ken Chester. Glad to have you with us, me and the Roadworthy Drive crew. Y'all still with me? Yep. yep. Okay, just checking. <laughs> we, we get a little animated sometimes during the breaks. Green vehicles, otherwise known as clean vehicles. That is, those that don't use hydrocarbons or only partially use hydrocarbons like a gasoline-electric hybrid. They're rated each year by an organization called the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy, otherwise known as the ACEEE. They just put out their annual list for greenest vehicles, which are currently available in the American marketplace. This is the 21st edition. They've been doing it for 21 years. Okay. This is their latest list. With the headline, Affordable Tech Marvels Dominate Greenest Vehicles List. Basically, what they're saying you don't have to spend over $40,000 to get something like a model Tesla S or to be green. And for the record, uh, Kermit had it wrong. It is easy being green, or easier these days anyway. Yeah. What? You didn't get the Muppet reference. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, now no. he's quoting oh, the Muppet. My. Yeah, yeah. Lucky I, I didn't break out in the Swedish chef. Right. <laughs> Jack, gotta look it up. Okay. Hold, hold, hold the phone. This is what happens when you give the Here executive producer when you give the executive producer internet access during the show. That is called an executive producer having too much time on his hands yesterday. Uh, <laughs> Go and on. It, and it doesn't matter that I'm driving a Volvo this week, right? Uh, no. Okay. All right. Um, number one on the list. Now, they have three lists, actually. What they call the greenest. Then they have one that's what they call greener choices um, that does not have. Um, it well, let me go. The greenest list is the cleanest cars. They get a green score based on environmental damage index, which reflects cost to human health from air pollution associated with vehicle manufacturing, the production and distribution of fuel, and vehicle tailpipes. Now, that's the greenest list. A gr what they call the greener list uh, includes that information, uh, which also has, um, let me get this straight, it includes both conventional vehicles and traditional hybrids, but excludes plug-in hybrids and pure battery electric vehicles that require the availability of a charger to maximize efficiency. So what do you think is the vehicle that scored the highest on the uh, greenest, uh, their greenest list, the highest green score? Toyota Prius. No. And it's not a Tesla. No. I have no idea. I have. Oh wait, is it one of those? Uh, is it one of those smart? No. Cars. You know what I'm saying? No. The little two seater. Not number one. No. Okay. That Hyundai Ioniq Electric. Score seventy. Never heard of it. Yeah. Never heard of it. It's a whole line of cars that I've actually talked about on this show. Okay. Uh, that they've come out with the hybrid, uh, an electric. The pure electric is what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Second place is uh, that smart for two electric drive. Okay. Third place, BMW i3. 
This one will kill you. Fourth place, first time. Tesla Model 3 Long Range. Wow. But are most of these electric cars on this list? Actually, what this is on this list for the third consecutive year, the greenest list is populated completely by vehicles with some form of electric powertrain and contains no vehicle with an internal combustion engine alone. Okay, so it could be a it could be a hybrid. Yeah. Okay. Rounding this out, Kia Soul Electric at number five, Chevy Bolt EV, that's Bolt with a B, number six, the Hyundai Einig Blue, that's the hybrid, Toyota Prius Eco, number eight, Ford Focus Electric, number nine, Kia Nero Plug-in Hybrid, that just came out last year, 10, Honda Clarity Plug-in Hybrid, which is new for 2018 and available in all 50 states, 11, and rounding it out with a score of 62, number 12, Chevy Volt with a V. Now, okay. let's say let's say you want to go greener, but not the greenest. Okay. 12 cars. Top of the list, Toyota Camry Hybrid. Um, some other cars. Here's one that is completely uh, internal combustion, Toyota Yaris IA. Okay. Honda CRV. Uh, you'll like this one, Jack. In number 10th place on the greener choices list. Mm-hmm. Chevrolet Colorado GMC Canyon Diesel. On the greenest list, number 11, greenest list, Ford F-150 base. And finally, rounding it out, and this is not the hybrid, in number 12, Chrysler Pacifica. Oh. The hybrid comes in a little bit below that, comes in a little higher than that, but because it was a plug-in, fell between the lists. Okay. So, now... The high, the Chrysler Pacifica Mini, the hybrid, would have scored another nine points higher than the regular Pacifica. But remember, in number 12, as a greener choice, the gas engine-powered Chrysler Pacifica made the list. Wow. Now, they've got a list called the meanest choices. These score the lowest what would be the worst on their list? Uh, Chevy HD. No, no. Mercedes-Benz G550, the G-Wagon. Okay. But, I'll t- but I'll tell you what, it, might not be the, it may not be the greenest thing on the road, mm-hmm. but if you're off-road and you are seriously off-road and you are serious about your off-roading being serious, mm-hmm. this is the vehicle you want to be driving. Oh. With, yeah. Three lockable uh, differentials. Ooh. High, high off the road. Mm-hmm. Bulletproof engine that digs in deep. Mm-hmm. If you get stuck with this, ain't nothing coming for you. Oh, yeah, I'd have to call the. Uh, ain't nothing. I'd have to call the military and have them take one of the Chinooks and pull me out. Pretty much. Okay. Because there ain't nothing on the planet that'll get you out of that. Uh, rounding out that list. Is uh, the Ram fifteen hundred at number seven? Uh, the Jeep Grand Cherokee Trackhawk, which is their performance one, at number four, and rounding out the list, the Dodge Durango SRT. Cute stuff. When I return, the ethics of autonomous cars and accident statistics. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned to Roadworthy Drive. 
Go to roadworthydrive.com to check out Ken's blog, listen to past shows, and the times when you can see the show on Facebook Live. Welcome to the downhill side of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. For those who want to learn more about the show or Roadworthy Drive crew, check out the show website. That's roadworthydrive.com. Listen to past shows, watch videos of our behind-the-scenes drama, and may I specify drama. There is no drama. Yeah, yeah, drama. In the Roadworthy Drive studios, we prepare the show each week and more. Yeah, take three strong-willed, opinionated people, put them in the same (laughs) studio, add a subject, stir vigorously. (laughs) This became a cooking show. Why wasn't I told? Uh, You were. That's what happens when you don't attend pre-production meetings. Wait, wait, wait. I am the pre-production meeting. Exactly. (laughs) I rest my case. The website is a great place to discover what we're doing across the universe of social media. Sasha is our own social diva and resident geek who keeps things interesting and entertaining between shows. See how she puts the social in social media. You'll be glad you did. Really, honestly. Right, Sasha? I, I, yes, yes. They'll be so glad that they did. Awesome. Okay. And informed. Yes, and entertained. <laughs> and maybe even caused to think. N- no. Yes. Thinking's good. Just a little bit? It's healthy. Okay. Okay. All right. In the development of self-driving vehicles, we trust normally as the public that the engineers and the programmers that write the code and work the math will determine what these vehicles do when they're actually in the wild and that it will be to our benefit. But what if it isn't? Also, with all this standard safety equipment we've had in our vehicles over the last number of years, are fewer people dying as a result? I want to take a look. So I want to start with this title. Blame game. Self-driving car crash highlights tricky legal question. First of all, the title is wrong. (laughs) It is. Because number one, what they're talking about, a couple months ago when that Tesla hit that fire truck at 65 miles an hour on the highway in California. Okay, I did not know about this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Back in January. Uh, Let me read it to you. Let's see. Let's get this way, not that one. Um, But basically what happened... Uh, Tesla driver had it in autopilot, mm-hmm. wasn't paying attention, uh, was rumored to be traveling at 65 miles an hour before the crash. Not sure how much the vehicle may have s- slowed before it hit it. Crinkled that car right up to the firewall. Wow. Driver got out. They said you should get treatment because of the severity of the crash. Said he didn't need any and appeared to look fine. Tesla contends, as always, that autopilot should only be used Intended for use only, I quote, this is Tesla's words, with a fully attentive driver. You and I both know that if something's in, air quotes here, people, autopilot, right? you ain't going to be paying attention all the time. Let me break this down. It ain't full autonomous. I get it. He's so many people the name want... creates false sense yes. of security. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, I'll go further with you. This week, and, and regular listeners know that I get vehicles to review every week. This week, I have a brand new 2018 
Volvo S90. I love that car. Turbocharged, supercharged, four-cylinder, goes like the wind. My first car ever with semi-autonomous features. And it's driving you crazy. Um, car ain't quite ready for prime time. Okay. I was coming up the road. I engaged it. It didn't like the corner. Kind of cornered a little wide. Yeah. I'm like, okay, you ain't ready yet. Um, meanwhile, straights and modest corners did fine. Mm-hmm. I said, well, let's see what happens. Let's see how this is engineered. Took my hands off the wheel. Car did okay for about 45 seconds. Then it dinged at me. And when I didn't respond, it turned the radio down. And when I didn't respond, it disengaged everything. Cruise control, uh, it's semi-autonomous features, everything. Thought that was interesting. And if you were not paying attention, you were going to be either in a ditch, hitting something, or all of the above. Given that Volvo pledged nobody would die in their cars by 2020, and that's less than two years away. Two years away. Um, Being that it's a Volvo, I am very sure that vehicle with pedestrian protection, forward collision mitigation, and a whole host of other safety features would have come to a stop long before anything bad happened. Yeah, because it makes me curious. What would have happened if you would have continued? What would have happened if he would have continued to be unresponsive as the driver? Would the car would have slowly, and again, almost like a... I don't want to use the term like self-parking, but similar it to that. Has the ability, that particular car has the ability to self-park. Okay. Also, it has lane change mitigation. Right. So it, I'm, uh, Go ahead. I'm wondering, would the car then realize that the driver was not responding to the three different warnings that it gave and then pull the car over to like um, if it could register the shoulder in quotations and then put the car like in park? Number one, this car has lane change mitigation. Right. It's not going to wander out of its lane even without me responding. So worst case, and this is me speculating because trust me, folks, I have not tested it to this level. (laughs) Okay. Did not want to get killed by an 18-wheeler rear-ending me. So Um, from what I've read where the tech is going, it would probably set the flashers, pull over, and stop. That's exactly what I was saying. Yeah. That it would pull that would over. be that would be where it's going now. Whether but it's this, not available now. I don't know that. I, I have not read the owner's manual, and I didn't take it to that conclusion. Okay. Uh, if I did that, I'd sure want to do it in a controlled situation. Well, yeah, because you were saying that it didn't like that whatever corner you were trying to take, and it wanted to take it a little bit wide. So I was curious about that. Which was yeah, it surprised me a little too. I've got his controlled situation for him. Yes. Iowa Speedway. Mm. <laughs> no, I, I've been I've been out there. Yeah, I would rather have a straight flat road. Um, I know a straight flat road. I bet you do. I. Uh, but before we get into all of that, uh, really quickly, um, so we've got all of that going on, um, and then we haven't even talked about the Chevy uh, Bolt with a B mm-hmm. that hit a motorcyclist. Went to change lanes, realized it couldn't, came back into the lane. Clipped the motorcycle driver. Oh no! He's fine. Oh, it was twelve miles an hour. Don't get don't don't lose your cool, people. Uh, dude, I do an, I do another syndicated show that is about motorcycles. Mm-hmm. They have now become very near and dear to my heart, and, mm-hmm. I, and I've seen some really 
really bad things ugly happen. Things. Yeah, 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 ugly things. Yeah, ugly things. Yeah, and I will also tell you, we've done motorcycle statistics here. Sixty mm-hmm. percent of the motorcycle accidents that occur involve a vehicle and a motorcycle. Yep. What? Yeah. I mean, short the, of the motorcycle with escaped orangutans. Uh, no, people turning out, turning in front of a motorcycle. <laughs> uh huh. Motorcycle hitting a car. Right. The Things one, like that. The one that I actually saw on my street when I was growing up as a kid, motorcyclist laid it down because he didn't think the guy coming the other way was going to stop. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get to these statistics. I might in the next uh, segment before we get there because I do want to read them. So when I come back, we will complete the statistics and then talk about automobile dealers in this brave new world. <laughs> and you think you had it rough. This is Real Worthy Drive. Roadworthydrive.com is the place to keep up with the latest happenings with Ken and the show. down with this last installment for this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester, your host. Now, we didn't get a chance to get to, and I do want to touch base on, um, fatality statistics. Um, with all this technology, and I'm, I'm not trying to be morbid here, but you would think with all this technology, particularly since 2011 when the National Highway Traffic Safety Board, uh, I'm sorry, administration, specified um, traction control stability control, side impact airbags were all added as standard equipment starting with 2011 models. Mm-hmm. So, And then there's been more on top of that that the automakers have added in the way of safety, some that will be required in the years to come, some that have just been developed as a suite of electronic safety warning and mitigation features. Didn't we just have a couple that just became, they have to be standard equipment now? Um, automatic emergency braking. Needs to be is going to be standard by the NTSB. I'm sorry, I'm thinking National Traffic Safety Board, and I actually mean the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Yep. NHTSA, uh, by 2022. Okay. Um, rear window. I'm sorry, not rear window. Rear view cameras will be required standard by May of this year, 2018. Okay. So we do have some of that that has to be standard coming. A lot of it's been coming. Usually automakers don't wait. They start incorporating that with each time they revise or update a vehicle. They'll add that equipment. Mm-hmm. It's cheaper that way than to just do it, boom, out of nowhere. Okay. They plan now, for it. No, so we don't run out of time. What we do the, always, what do we the, always what run out of time. What do the statistics say? Or has it increased or decreased? I'll put it to you like this. As a percentage of death overall, Mm-hmm. From all causes, from everything. Okay. Road fatalities only represent 1.3% of all death from any type of death in the, in the okay. country. Okay. Okay. Now, as far as road crashes, average in the United States, 10.9 fatalities per 100,000 population. How does that differ? I'm going to tell you by state roughly, really quick. Um. The highest per 100,000, state of Wyoming. 
24.7 deaths per 100,000 population. Road crash, cause of death. How, what is the number one cause of road crash in Wyoming? They don't say. Okay. They just, they're just talking about, they're just measuring fatalities due to road crash. Uh, the lowest, District of Columbia, 3.4. Mm-hmm. That doesn't even seem possible with as busy as that town is. Yeah. Well, five states with the highest rates, Wyoming, Mississippi, Montana, South Carolina, and Arkansas. By comparison, the five states with the lowest rates, District of Columbia, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and believe it or not, New York and New Jersey. Yeah. Freaked me out, too. But I wanted to cover that really quick in the time we had. I thought it was worth talking about. That That was interesting. Yeah. Well, that was the whole point. I wanted to cover that just a little bit. Basically, that works out to about 40,000 people a year still which is still too high, even though the mileage has increased, the population has increased, but the number of deaths have not increased, although it is low compared to death overall, cause of death. Okay. Okay, really quick. Um, talking about dealers, if you were a car dealer in this crazy world, knowing that um, mobility is a thing, mobility is going to impact your dealership in ways because your main way of making money is selling new and used cars and parts to run those cars and repairing those cars. But online interaction, people want to interact online. I'm old school. I like walking into the dealership. Mm-hmm. You know, now, now granted, I'm like an, in quite a number of people who started their research online. In fact, 63% of consumers initiated their car purchase online. Um, I I could say that for the research that I did. I did it online, but when we concluded it, we did it at the dealership. Mm-hmm. To me, there's nothing more than more important than touching the iron, checking it out, um, sitting in the vehicle, driving the vehicle if at all possible. I don't know how people do that without that. But that's just one of the main things going on. Other things to think about, um, with all these changes, they talk about all the changes. I'm not even going to get into all of them. Uh, online sales and online service and shopping online and mobility choices. Mm-hmm. They said these changes present both a great risk and opportunity for the industry as a whole. They expect the value pool of all this different stuff to grow from $6.6 trillion by 2030 from 3.5 trillion now they expect that the traditional way of doing things the way that cars are designed manufactured bought and sold and their business models are expected to decline 98% of the market today to just 50% by 2030 folks that's a little more than 12 years from now i'm going to let that sink in Here's something else. As a dealer, would you believe that a recent study by McKinsey uh, found that 86% of consumers would switch vehicles to get some form of advanced driver assistance system and 37% would switch to another manufacturer if they were the only one offering a vehicle with full access to applications, data, and media. People want more. Data is the new hardware. Used to be you could sell a car based on horsepower, performance, and everything. Right now, 
what they're saying and what the surveys are giving people an idea. It's my ability to download, manipulate, absorb, and receive data in my vehicle, whether it's talking to Alexa at home, having talking to Alexa from home to my vehicle, or to Alexa from my vehicle to home, Mm -hmm. and a whole host of other things that we talked about earlier. But still, that's not all. They talked about car connectivity, which is real right now, as a $450 billion business uh, by 2030. All kinds of things going on. Um, one, And here's the scary part. If you're a manufacturer, they did a survey of 60 original equipment manufacturer executives. 58% of the executives surveyed indicated they did not have a clear understanding of the benefits customers were looking for, which underscores the need to first define a vision. And if you're a dealer, you got a problem because you're caught in the middle. The dealers need to focus on communicating connectivity's consumer benefits in an engaging way while opening a direct dialogue with the manufacturers as their future role of customers' contact points. So the dealers are caught in the middle now more than ever before. It's a changing world out there, and we'll keep talking about it. We've come to an end of another hour together, folks. Be sure to tune in next week at the same time so we can do it all over again. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for listening. This has been Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.